Okay, well, good morning, friends. Welcome. Uh, so some of you were here, uh, about half of you maybe were here yesterday evening. And we kind of explored this, this theme a little. Um, which I have trouble remembering the wording of, even though we just heard it. Uh, the way things are, uncovering the deep truths of experience. And we, we started to explore this theme in, a, in a, fa- a kind of a formless way in meditation and in as much as possible an immediate way. So my, what I'd like us to do in terms of practicing and exploring and discussing and reflecting, in other words, what I'd like to do in terms of this practice of a constant just checking in with experience as it is, is to explore what's sort of called the deep truths of experience, right, in the title, because you've got to write something in a title that sounds catchy. But that actually just means, you know, this practice of constantly referring to experience to see what's happening here, to see what's experience revealing about its nature to see what does this intimacy with experience that our practice is, what does it show me about the way I'm meeting experience that can be liberating? And so my wish, in a way, in exploring that is not really to teach anything. So that lets me off the hook. But rather than, because often we, we kind of, we hear teachings, and we may hear teachings that, uh, you know, we hear them usefully, importantly, in a way that kind of uh, lights up our recognition through our own experience. But often and easily, we hear teachings, and we kind of, subtly or not so subtly, try to bend our experience to fit the teachings. So... Rather than trying to uh, present a lot of ideas about the way things are, about the way experience is, or the way we often hear that as the way my experience ought to be, it's a, a kind of it's a sort of inner pressure that easily gets hold of our experience. The invitation is meet experience as it is. And yet, how easily we get into what that ought to look like. Oh, my mind should be peaceful, or I should be more focused. I should be, I should be feeling peaceful. I should be acting compassionately, etc. And then we find that this practice, this open practice of meeting, allowing, exploring, opening up, actually subtly becomes a practice of what one of my friends calls shooting on ourselves. And so, and overlaying our practice with a lot of, with ideals and images and this inner pressure to somehow conform to some spiritual ideal. Some spiritual ideal that we, that gets represented by statues like this. Or some spiritual ideal that we take on from the teachings we hear. 
or some spiritual ideal that we've just manufactured through our own tendency, right, to should on ourselves, through our own tendency to manufacture an ideal that we end up easily kind of comparing ourselves with. And then we look, you know, in those two directions, the, how I ought to be and how I am. How I ought to be and how I am. And so there's a way in which that this, this beautiful practice that points towards wisdom and compassion and peace and ease and responsiveness and love and a certain fluidity and freedom of being in the way that we meet and respond to life ends up getting kind of contained by this attempt to get to some ideal. So, the uh, invitation, the warm invitation of the day is to put aside our ideals and to be much more interested in what we, what we notice, however it is, than we are interested in what we ought to look like or what our experience could or should be. And we'll get to see for ourselves. That doesn't mean, of course, if only it worked like that, if only my warm invitation was enough, right, that we could all put those things aside. So don't let, don't let the shooting get hold of that. Right? Oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be having any ideals about how I should be. Right? Um, but uh, just to, to be... In French, there's this lovely phrase, to be à l'écoute. Aliquid means to be on the listen-out for. So as we go through the day together, just to be on the listen-out for. Ways in which you find yourself trying to uh, push yourself into some narrow mold. Ways you find yourself trying to conform to some version of what you think your practice ought to be. Or... The, uh, or into the idea of some kind of the right mind state or a particular spiritual mind state. The openness of this practice and part of the beauty of this practice. And I noticed when I was just looking at the New York Insight website yesterday that this lovely word the Buddha uses, I can't even say it, epasiko. A pasico. It's actually it's there somewhere on the New York Insight. Come and see. Come and find out. Come and find out what's here. And that that quality and the beauty of the openness of this practice is that we don't need to have a particular kind of experience. The beauty of this. Oh, come and see what's it. Whatever's here is that whatever's here, body like this, the mind state that you've got right now, the conditions as they are, are the open doorway into a deepening contact with what's happening, a deepening intimacy with what's happening, a deepening understanding of what's happening. So, here we are, 
Body like this. Mind like this. World like this. You might just check in, just before we get into the formality of meditation together. Just check in, what does that mean? What, what is body like this right now? Just kind of really inhabiting your experience from the inside. Noticing what stands out. Sensing temperature of body, the fullness of, if that's there from breakfast, or the emptiness that might be there if you didn't have time for breakfast. Sensing into body like this. Not the image or the idea, but just the kind of alive, vibrant dance. Of, of sensation. That is what we call body. And I'm just having a sense of mind like this. What's your current mind state? And just a sense of receptivity to allow your current mind state to just be known and recognized, felt into. Whether it's bright or dull, agitated or steady. Contented or restless. Letting your practice be just the attunement to mind like this, however it is. And just expanding this attunement and receptivity to the sense of a world like this. Just including the sounds of the air machine. I don't know what it is, heating or cooling or whatever it's doing. Just including the sounds of the street and my voice. So that these realms of experience that we usefully but slightly artificially separate is what I've just been calling you know, body, mind and world. So that they actually all just appear together in the receptivity of awareness. So they appear in the like thisness of things. And letting this receptivity, this attunement to experience like this, letting this be the ground and the support for 
establishing yourself in meditation. And just like this then, we sit here together. Grounding your attention in the just like thisness of experience. Immediate, visceral. Gathering your attention so that your awareness really can inhabit a body like this. We have the sensations that happen of the rhythm and movement of breathing. Grounding your attention in such a way that sounds just pass through. Grounding your attention in such a way that these different realms of experience like this are really just allowed to happen. And amidst all the comings and goings of experience like this, there's a certain steadiness the constancy of awareness. If this constancy of awareness is enough of a support for your practice. And just letting yourself be here as this knowing through which all experience passes, fluid and freely unfolding. If it's not clear what I mean by that, or if that isn't enough support, And letting yourself steady your attention through really 
adhering to one particular aspect of experience. Just the natural rhythm and movement of breath. Or just the very immediate visceral sensations of body sitting. And if you find that your attention's rather diffuse or jumpy this morning and you keep getting pulled into various ideas and images, memories and fantasies and endless descriptions, then just gently practicing the willingness to keep dropping it. Keep just graciously unhooking. Willingness to just keep coming back. To body like this. If your attention's caught up in some idea or image or reaction, just letting yourself unhook. Just feeling for the spaciousness of awareness, the immediacy of awareness. The knowing of awareness. That which can allow mind and body and world, all the realms of experience, to be just like this. Feeling for the awareness that allows experience just to pass through, just to unfold, just to arise and pass. Without identifying with it, without letting it create the narrative and drama that's all about me. So that there's that certain generosity towards experience. that allows mind to be like it is, that allows body to be like it is, that allows the world to be like this. An awareness that extends its welcome, its allowing, 
needs intimacy to experience. just like this. When instead of fixating on experience, instead of believing in all the passing thoughts. When you allow experience to be just like this, when you allow sounds and sensations and ideas and images just to pass through, when you leave experience alone, to have its own appearance and disappearance, then what do you notice about it? What then does experience reveal about its nature? What happens when you pay attention not to the not to the story that you tell yourself about experience but rather to its fluid nature its happening by itself nature it's just like this nature What do you see about your own tendency? What do we learn about one's own habit patterns when we intend to meet experience in this open-handed, open-hearted, generous way? When we intend to allow experience to be just like this. So about 10 minutes remaining of the sitting to continue practicing in this way. And as we come to the end of the sitting, when you hear the bell ring, and then start to open your eyes or adjust your posture, as you're being here, 
moves out of the formality of meditation just to see if the same orientation can be there. A certain living in the midst of the way experience is like this. A certain intimacy with the fluid nature of changing sensory input. of life unfolding just like this. So, during the meditation there, I, I referred to three different uh, kinds of support, or three, I don't really like the word levels, but uh, kind of three different levels of support. And helpful just to see as the day goes by, moment by moment, what, what is available to you in terms of that. So the... The first support I mentioned is just the support of the, the fact of the constancy of awareness. We were speaking last night about the fact that awareness is just always here. Even though we talk about trying to become aware or cultivate awareness in some way as if it's something I could create. But actually, like right now, awareness is just here, right? Constantly just receiving impressions of things. The fact that we don't notice that is, is because it gets overlaid by some or other fascination. And the basic hereness of awareness, receiving experience, gets overlaid by us uh, contracting our attention around one or other thing. Contracting our attention around that thing I want or that thing that's bothering me, or whatever it might be. But the more familiar we get with the, the here-ness, the on-ness, the, the constancy of awareness, the more that can actually just be as much of a support as is needed in our meditation. And when that's the case the opportunity to learn about the way experience is just comes alive when we're not, when we're not fascinating, when we're not uh, contracting around. Oh, then that constancy of awareness has a lot of space in it, a space in which to actually contemplate in a, rather, in a non, not very cognitive way, but to actually contemplate experience, to see its nature. And it's, it's a way, it's like 
actually uh, ourselves learning. Rather than uh, learning in a cognitive way, it's like ourselves learning to meet life in a fluid way. Ourselves learning, oh, things are constantly changing. Ourselves learning that experience has its own rhythm. Ourselves learning to the, a kind of the wisdom of being with experience in a way that's fluid and freely responsive. So, there may be moments, and for some of you, that, that sense of the constancy of awareness as the support for your practice may be well established. And in which case, if or when that's the case, I'd really encourage you to just let that be enough of a support. And a kind of classical image may be the sort of sitting on the river bank and watching the river of experience pass by and actually able to see into the water of experience, to know something about its nature, as well as able to see into the nature of the sitting, the nature of this constancy of awareness. That's, I was going to say hard, but actually that's impossible to describe. Nobody has ever, no spiritual teachings, no, nobody has ever managed to say what this awareness is really. And yet, the, the capacity to sort of turn the light of awareness on to itself, the capacity of awareness to explore its constancy, its luminosity, its immediacy, transforms the way we meet what passes through awareness. So, when, when or as or if that support is available to you, Really to use that for this kind of formless contact with experience as it is. And then if that's not available, um, other support I mentioned was just the kind of the grounding your attention in one thing. Simplest aspect of experience possible. So breath, probably most of you are familiar with breath as that one steady object, or it may be just the sensations of sitting. And the support that allows us to actually to, to learn something of the constancy of awareness. Even though we might notice that we, our attention keeps getting pulled into that, the tendency to get fascinated, get obsessed, to contract around something. But then that's okay, because then again, we actually get to learn about that process. We get to learn about what what identification with experience does. We get to learn about the way in which experience starts to appear in a certain way when I fixate upon it. We get to learn something of the capacity to abide. Something of the way in which the, the using the object of breath or body not because there's anything particularly special about breath or body, right? but the way using that object actually allows a way into a sense of oh, steadiness with, allowing of. The, the movement of experience. And then, 
Sometimes, if that's not available, and if the experience, if your sense in your practice is mostly one of bouncing around a lot, and this is why I don't like to speak about it in terms of levels of support, because it's really, whether one's been sitting for, uh, whether one's very experienced in meditation or just new to meditation, one may sometimes have access to that sense of just an formless abiding in the constancy of awareness. But still, there may be other moments where the mind is just, just flighty, right like it was when one first started practicing. And so if and when that's just the conditions as they are, right, just the willingness to keep recognizing and unhooking. And so easily we, we feel like that recognizing and unhooking thing, it's kind of a drag, but it's something I have to do because I'm hoping to get to something else. One of those other levels that Martin was talking about, that sounds better, right? That sounds more advanced in some way. But if our practice is being with conditions as they are, then if the, if, uh, the mind is in that condition of bouncing around, of, of, getting, of getting fascinated or contracted around objects a lot, then the benefit of that n- noticing and dropping, noticing and dropping, isn't just to establish some steadiness. Although that will happen. If you keep noticing and dropping, if you really keep sincerely just noticing and dropping, recognizing, releasing, re-establishing, then a certain steadiness will establish itself. But as well as that, often we're learning in a way that's having more of an impact than we might realize. Even if you're in the process of one meditation session, you get fascinated or contracted a hundred times around something. And even though the story might develop, all I did in that meditation was just keep noticing that I was distracted and keep dropping it. Wonderful. Because actually every time, in a way that may be more powerful than you realize, every time you notice and you drop it, that's what you're cultivating. You're cultivating the capacity to notice that the mind is contracted. Most people go through their whole lives barely noticing that their mind is just getting contracted around objects. They just so believe in the contraction. They so believe in the story. that They don't really ever explore that. So that you're cultivating the capacity to, to notice just the mind in that fascinated condition. And you're, you're cultivating the capacity to unhook, to leave it alone, to, to be more committed to the process of experience than to the seduction or the fascination around a particular object of experience. And you're cultivating the capacity not only to, to uh, drop or let go of that fascination, but to reestablish something, to feel for this constancy or this rest or this allowing of experience, even if it doesn't feel very clear what that even means. The fact of the willingness to let go of some fascination and feel for this mysterious thing. We don't, you may not even know what I mean when I say awareness. That doesn't matter. 
The fact you're feeling for what that might mean. The fact that you're feeling through this experience of being conscious towards a sense of what it means to just be aware of what's happening, aware of the uh, movement, aware of the fluidity of experience. That works on you. So one of the tricky things for me in teaching this kind of practice is to try and evoke and to point to the kind of the depth and beauty and liberating possibility of of this practice on the one hand, but on the other hand, without trying to set it up in some way as we end up with the idea that that's what I should be experiencing. Because whatever support you're using for your practice, in line with whatever conditions you find uh, yourself in right now, it's good. So use the support that's the helpful one, the skillful one. Formless, abiding, expansive, inclusive awareness. Lovely. Make use of that. But also just the establishment on something steady, being here in the body, using the breath. Wonderful. Or just feeling uh, distracted, vague, dull, sleepy, confused, lost. And then in the moment of noticing that, oh, seeing the glimpse of possibility to drop it. Fantastic. One of my friends was once on retreat in Burma. And it was one of those you know, Asian monasteries, like boot camp style practice. You know, like the morning bell going up at the time. Some of us are just going to bed normally. And uh, that, you know, barely eating like they do in those Theravadan monasteries, etc. And my friend was there sort of, you know, dragging himself through the rhythm, thinking this is good for me and I'm going to get some spiritual benefit here, but kind of feeling rather grim about his practice. And he went to meet the teacher one day, and the teacher says, you know, broad grin, you know. How's it going? My friend sort of recounts his various woes and struggles. And the teacher said to him, oh, no. He said, you're supposed to enjoy this practice. He said, it's good what you're doing. Enjoy it. And that was the only instruction he gave me. Hey, it's good what you're doing. Enjoy it. Now go away. And somehow, it was very kind of touching listening when he came back to my friend recounting this. Somehow that kind of cut through the way he was taking his practice terribly seriously and always trying to get somewhere else with it. It's good what you're doing. Enjoy it. And so, that's why I say I'm hesitant to use this this term of levels of of support for practice. Because how easily we think, oh, it would be good to be at a different level. A so-called deeper level. But, it's good what you're doing. Enjoy it. And so, even if we find ourselves with a, 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 a tired mind or an uncooperative mind or whatever kind of mind we find, there's something about just inhabiting the recognition of the goodness of your practice. The way it's working on you. And sometimes, 
if I just look at it, what's happening right now, I may not be able to see the way it's working on me. But those of you who have some longevity of practice, which is most of you, even if that's just a few months, maybe it's just a few weeks, right? And some of you, of course, it's some years, some of us it's some decades. If one looks back at the longevity of your practice, even if it's only a few weeks, the reason you've sustained it until now is because you notice it's having some benefit. That's important to recognize that. In other words, it's good what you're doing. Enjoy it. So, uh, that's, that's a way of describing a little bit with these ideas of these, speaking about these three different kinds of support that may be there for your practice. So before we go on with the day, I just want to make room for any clarifications that might be helpful uh, for that. I have just some space to do some walking practice and some more quiet sitting this morning, and then I'll give some further reflections later on. But as we just make some time for, for meditation, for just exploring uh, this experience we find ourselves in, just to see if there are questions about the way I've described the practice so that, you're, uh, so that you can go on with some confidence of the way you're applying yourself. Yeah, please. And please say your names when you speak. Um, Judy? Judy, yeah. Um, you made unhooking sound easy. Mm. Could you elaborate on unhooking? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm always, I'm really fascinated myself by the language with which one speaks about practice. And I'm always trying to feel for a language that doesn't, isn't necessarily the conventional translation, but something that tries to point in an, in an immediate and alive way as possible to what we're doing. So conventionally, it tends to be called letting go. Oh, just let go, just let go. But I find that the language of letting go sometimes seems to suggest a kind of the, the go. We hear the go part rather than the let Right. The let is the most important part. Let, let it, let it, let it take care of itself. Let it do its own thing. Leave it alone. Let it be. Right. But we say, oh, let it go, let it go. Right. As if we want it to, to get out of here. And so when I'm using the language of unhooking, it's, it's uh, some sense of we're not making demands on the experience that it be here or not be here experience we say is just like this so the unhooking the sort of softening what I'm really meaning the softening around our fascination of it and so practically how to unhook because sometimes like you say it sounds easier than it is one way that's helpful sometimes is let it you know when the outbreath comes along the outbreath is a kind of natural relaxation and so you see if you can, you might see if you can tie that unhooking to to the outbreath the fascination around an, an object is implicit in that fascination or contraction is a certain bodily tension maybe very subtle but a certain to it and so using the outbreath sometimes helpful in the unhooking
as with everything, like there's, there's always more that could be said, but I don't, so I won't get into it too much, but just one little thing. A lot of the stuff that we contract around is just junk, right? It's just mental clutter. It's just half-remembered snippets of what happened yesterday, vague anticipation of what might happen in another moment, or sort of just general habitual description of what's happening now. And there's nothing that needs need be done with that stuff other than unhooking, or other than you can try out the different ways of describing it at work, other than just leaving it alone, leaving it alone, not fussing with it, not engaging it, not being troubled by it. But some other content isn't just vague; it's got more charge to it, right? So. The, the vague stuff, when you leave it alone, it tends to be gone, and then it's something else that'll come. So you let go of some vague, half-remembered thing, and then the next thing that comes along, oh, there's just another piece of mental detritus that's <coughs> floating through. But when it's not that, when it's got more charge, right? when it's that painful episode that I'm remembering, then when, how could she have done that, or how could he have said that, or... Uh, uh, you can keep unhooking from that, but it, it, won't, it won't let go. So the things that we might try to unhook from, but they keep on coming back, what's important there is to see what's the engine that's driving them. It's usually some, un, some painful emotional piece. Right? So when the story isn't just vague clutter, but when it's the story of my hurt or my anger or my jealousy or my resentment or my fear or my anxiety or something else, then it's not enough to just let go and let go and let go. Actually, then that sense of the letting be is more important, not, not with the story, but with the feeling underneath. So if, as you say, sometimes it's, it's harder than it sounds to unhook, just to see what is it what is it that's keeping you invested is you know because the feeling is painful we try to resolve it on the level of the story i keep replaying what he said or what she did as if that would make any difference whereas actually what we're invited to do is actually expose ourselves to to the, the 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 one who feels hurt betrayed jealous uh, anxious etc the, so the unhooking part, unhook, unhook from the story, unhook from the rhetoric, unhook from the idea where I'm the injured party and I keep reinforcing the sense of me in it, but actually to, to let in the, the one who feels upset, confused, or whatever it is. And when we get underneath the story part of it, there's, it's, there's access to the, kind of, to the tenderness of that, or the vulnerability of that, the tremulousness of that. Okay. Hi, yeah. yeah, please, go ahead. John, um, you know, this is a follow-up, really, to the question um, of uh, being attached to something. I find, like, at work, if I'm in a particularly intense time, and work with a lot of people. Uh, I'm really like clinging on emotions mm. really deeply. But I'm always kind of intrigued, like if, say, if this is summer, if I'm kind of free ish, 
on my own, have more space. There's a level of clinging that's still there on the same issue, and it's very deep. It's a little bit more ingenious, a little more subtle, a little bit uh, almost like uh, not tan as tangible, but it's really there. So on what, in what way and on what level does one know that somehow you really did drop it? Does it mean that you're swifter or smoother or, or more uh, crisply acknowledging that subtlety? Or is it as a human being you're actually doing something related to acting in life, that your actions of life are different? Because it just seems like um, some issues, some feelings, some clinging, don't really kind of fade away like clouds or whatever. Yeah. The, those issues are like, uh, I'm always amazed that I'm the same person. And if you take away all the drama around particular tense times in your life, uh, yeah, you get some peace, but I'm not sure that's real peace. So that's what I'm kind of, I, I think I struggle with is, uh, how do you get to that real peace? Like, is it, are you courageous? Let's just say if you're in a terrible job and you get rid of it and you, you're more peaceful. Mm. But most people or other teachers say, well, you know, you really, there was one teacher a few weeks ago that said, uh, if you're, you know, he almost craves the desire to be in the most intense situation to see how he would react to it. So that's where some confusion comes in for me. And like, um, are you supposed to be like an avatar or like a gladiator? Or, or I mean, what's, what's the, I mean, where do you get to that point where, I mean, where are you with that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, there were quite a lot of questions yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. So, I've tried to respond briefly because I'm actually I'm very happy to to respond in all kinds of ways. And for this morning, I like to keep my responses mostly to supporting you in how you're attending to your practice and to have the wider uh, pieces more for this afternoon. So if I don't respond very fully now, I'll maybe respond a little more fully this afternoon. But... But, what were the questions? How do you get to that real peace? Well, the, the phrase the Buddha uses is, is, that, is that sense of that one knows the, the, the clinging that has gone out of something through the taste of freedom. One knows a freedom from it. And you can't fake that. You can't find your way to that. Uh, you, uh, you can't force your way to that. So if what you're exposed to is the contraction of some clinging, rather than trying to worry about how, what would tell me I'm free from this, I would say, let yourself feel it, John. Let yourself feel the clinging. Don't try to, to just somehow magically stop clinging. Right? Because the attempt to not cling is more clinging. Right? I've got to stop doing this. I've got to stop doing this. It actually reinforces it. There's this lovely line where the Buddha says, I teach one thing and one thing only. Suffering and the end of suffering. It's like, if you're being pedantic, you'd say, well, that sounds like two things. Right? But he talks about them because 
as he really emphasizes that being one thing only because it's because it's found in the same place to meet clinging is the way in which it gets the space to to self-liberate, we might say, to uncontract itself. You can't actually do it. You can't stop clinging. Because the one who's trying to stop clinging is the one whose nature is to cling. Right? The, very, the very fact of experiencing in terms of a self-sense, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, oh dear, I'm clinging, and now I'm doing a practice to stop clinging. And I've got to stop clinging. It's all part of the same territory. So, okay, clinging is what's happening. Right? So there's a kind of more generous attitude to the clinging. And then to give yourself the time and the space to explore what's it like, this clinging. What am I clinging on to? How does the clinging feel? What am I believing I'm getting from this? So you actually start to get some space around it, some perspective on it, some understanding of it. The closer you can come to your clinging, the more generous you can be to your clinging, the more genuinely interested you are in what is this clinging, the more the clinging will be able to free up. So I would say, don't worry about how to get there, and don't worry about what it's going to taste like when you get there. Like, Care for your clinging. Be curious about your clinging. Get close to your clinging. And it will free up. And you, that way you will know the taste of freedom wherein one knows, oh, that thing I obsessed around, that thing I was caught up in, that thing I really believed I could make happen a certain way, even though it was always making me tight, it's gone. I don't need to do that. And then the taste of freedom in that. Okay. One then the other. Yeah. Hi, good morning. Um, before you gave this answer now, I wanted to uh, inquire about something, but then you go on and blow my mind. And so I'm, I'm really appreciative of this uh, kind of in-passing notion of, oh, there is suffering and the end of suffering. And yeah, we see it too in our sort of dual system. And uh, this past couple of weeks in other contexts, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get into this non-duality thing. And then you just smash it, kind of. Thanks for that. It's, it's been brilliant. <laughs> Um, so I'll settle back into this uh, previous issue. And with regard to uh, the general orientation, the attitude of opening up towards what is. And perhaps it's the morning. Um, there is a degree of uh, presumed passivity in there, right? Uh, presumed passivity. Uh, it's a softening. Presume? I'm not sure what that means. Presume? Well, yeah. No, it is, it is a degree of passivity. Uh-huh, okay. However, it is still an activity. Mm. So within the, con within the uh, kind of the chaotic happenings 
in the body sensationally, uh, mental, mm. physical, and so on. I found in this morning's practice that the opening to is a pointing to, is still an action. I'm feeling certain things and that which I'm opening more towards mm. is an action. Mm. And versus the shooting, right? So they're both an action in a way. Mm. There's just a, a shift of energy. Yeah. Uh, how much oomph goes behind that push? The shooting is a directing, being a bit more forceful, being a bit more... Yeah. Uh, it has an imperative to it, right. which, is a, which has a sense of a push, mm -hmm. and it has a belief in it, which is the belief that when I, if I to get to that push, then somehow then... I'll feel better. Except that that's a constant trying to get somewhere else. Yeah. Because the action that you're talking of opening to, it's softer, not an imperative. It's actually, it's, it's led by oh, the willingness to be in contact. It's led by the curiosity to find out about. It's yeah. held in the, the care for what's happening. Yeah. Um, I'll try to, maybe I'm not expressing myself. Uh, I, I understand what you're saying. and um, There is sometimes some instructions with regard to focusing on, on, on the breath, for instance. Mm. Still, you know, you go, 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 constantly focusing on the breath versus the sit back. They're both, yeah. it's not the delusioning of what should be and what's going to come, even though... I found that this sort of uh, an attitude of kind of sitting on the edge of my cushion kind of thing yeah. is. So, try to do as little as possible. Mm. Do as little as possible mm. in your practice. Be as awake as possible, and to, and do as little as possible. And if you find that you, 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 the tendency is to keep making your practice into a doing, a kind of sitting on the edge of your cushion, trying to get closer to the breath, by kind of, oh. see, what, see just, just how little you can do. And it may be, ironically, that the less you do, the more present and intimate and receptive you are. Okay. We'll get there. <laughs> yes, please. Hi there. Um, how do you deal with outright terror? When I'm meditating, I've been meditating a year now, mm -hmm. and I came here for a very specific purpose. I had had a psychosomatic symptom that had had almost my entire life on and off. And when I retired from my work, which I didn't really want to retire from, I was in a situation where I had to leave to survive. It really became so intolerable. I, there was nothing physically wrong with me. So finally one day I stumbled in here. 
and started practicing and coming. And it went away. Mm. It went almost completely away mm. over time, mm. that therapy. And since then, um, I have gotten to a place where I almost cannot meditate. I am so frightened. Um, I get this feeling while I'm meditating. It feels as though I'm falling asleep, and then all of a sudden I feel as though I am disappearing. Mm. And I wake, I suddenly become enormously disoriented, and it's as though I am drifting into an empty pit. I feel this way almost all the time, <laughs> although I don't act like I'm crazy. <laughs> but I walk around feeling, I've suffered, I would say to you, a great amount of loss mm. in the last, a lot of loss. A lot of people have been lost, a lot of people have died, a lot of situations have been lost. And I found myself trying to put together a self again. Mm. And um, I am petrified. I feel like I am no longer who I, I don't know who I am. Mm. I, I wake up in the morning where I live, it feels like nobody lives there anymore, mm. not even me. Mm. And I, I'm not going insane, but I feel as though something is happening to me. Yeah. I have become aware of something mm. that is enormously frightening. Yeah. And that's why I'm here today. I woke up and I had a space of time before I had to do something. Yeah. I try to keep myself enormously busy, but whenever mm. things get slow, okay, yeah. this starts to come on. Yeah. And I have come to a place where I am tired of trying to. I said this this morning when I woke up. I'm try tired of trying to be somebody. Yeah. I look at my life as always trying to be somebody. Yeah. And I can no longer find a way to be that. Okay. So on the one hand, like yes. you say, tired of the sort of hollow attempt to be somebody. Yes. And yet on the other hand, when you, when you don't try to be somebody, the fear of the hole or the pit or the void that seems to open up. Yes. Right. So, and in a way that is, that's, you know, very much the existential stuff of this practice. Yes, I'm right. aware of that. Right. We come, we, we, in one way or another, we sense the unsatisfactoriness of a constant trying to prop up a sense of self that part of us knows just isn't very authentic. And yet, on the other hand, even though we may long for what we might call freedom from that sense of self, yes. actually confronting the, the, the loss or the unreality or the dissolution of the one we've always taken ourselves to be and tried to reinforce mm -hmm. can be quite disorientating and frightening. So, on the one hand, you know, I would really support that sense of you're tired of trying to be somebody. I am so tired. Yeah. It, and not just... And, yeah, okay. At the same time, because the fear is quite strong yes. when it opens up, the, a support for 
when you're not, when you're willing to just not give up trying to be somebody, mm-hmm. the support for that will, would be to let yourself feel whatever seems most authentically here. So right now, what's here? All the people that are sitting around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about come if you're closer to home, right? Right. The, the most. What are you most intimate with? That's right here. Breathing. Breathing. Well, I. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Mm-hmm. So let yourself feel in those moments where I'm not interested in trying to be someone, and a, a kind of space opens up. And yet the space easily gets char- characterized by the fear. Terribly, right? yes. So in that, let yourself look for or feel for what's here. Breath is always here. Mm-hmm. Right? Or maybe as that uh, breath slows down and refines sometimes and breath doesn't feel very here, then some physical sensation. Mm-hmm. Particularly feet. Feet. Feet on the ground. Your f- feet never get terrified. <laughs> no, it's just true. It's true. You know, a lot of it can be very confronting to mm-hmm. uh, be in touch with some of the emotional disruption or, mm-hmm. or the sense of dissolution mm-hmm. or whatever. All gets played out in the in emotional centers. Sort of from here to here can feel very frightening. Yes. And from here up, it just gets very uh, messy. And, yes. But from here down, mm-hmm. mostly things are okay. <laughs> So, as a resource, letting yourself feel your feet on the ground. Yes. And, and actually to put your feet flat on the ground. Okay. And oh, let yourself feel. You, the feet will give you the sense of hereness without you needing to reinforce a sense of self. Okay. And if you can't feel your feet, if the fear is very strong, you can actually take hold of your feet with your hands. You actually hold your feet as a way to... Okay. To... It creates more sensation there, right? Yes. So there's a way to bring your attention in. So breathe and feel your feet. Uh-huh. Breathe and feel your feet. And then you don't need to try and be anybody. You don't need to reinforce the inauthentic, hollow, bitter, repetitive, bullshitty, old sense of self. And yet the, the contact and the hereness with sensation will be a support against the, the fear that otherwise fills the sense of dissolution of that sense mm-hmm. of self. Thank you. Now, one other question. Is but this a stage? I think, in... I think we should uh, stick with that one. For okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. I just want us to have some time to, to follow on and just keep the thread of our practice going. But our friend here has been trying to ask a question since the beginning, so we'll just make room for one more. Okay, I'm Kevin, and um, my question is about the the practice of sitting um, mm. with the the exercise. So, in creating this open awareness mm. of like hereness, um, I'm able to kind of sustain that for a little bit, and then I feel what happens. There's like like this morning, like a boredom yeah. comes in, mm. and my mind wants to um, gravitate towards a sensation or my breath, or um, a thought will kind of pop up. And yeah. so I just wanted to, um, of, you know, of, uh, sustain, I guess, to, to, of, of keeping that, that openness um, and keeping an, a, an attention 
open of of how how do you work that? Because I mean, my I I I like to find one thing, and that that kind of keeps me awake and well, keeps my attention going. It's called boredom. Okay, yeah. Really, right? Explore the boredom. So rather than, you know, at the moment, oh, open, open awareness, but then boredom comes along and that becomes the, the thing that fascinates you. So you believe in the boredom, you get identified with the boredom, I'm bored, therefore I can think of a million other more interesting things that I'd rather be doing than sitting here doing this meditation stuff. Right? So you see, what, you see, the boredom has just become the object that's told you a story that you've been fascinated by. If in the moment that you notice that, oh, I'm bored, good. Right? Let yourself feel, oh, boredom, what's it like? And to actually feel the atmosphere of boredom, the way, to feel the way in which boredom will produce all kinds of interesting other scenarios. The irony is that actually when you, if you start to actually explore boredom in your experience like that, boredom itself is actually quite interesting. So let, let the boredom be the object. Okay. And if you find, if it sometimes might be helpful just to open your eyes so that there's a certain grounding in the immediacy. Sometimes when, something, when a, a mind state is a kind of a habitual and very compelling one, then somehow just changing the perspective, oh, might help. But just not to look at anything particular, but just opening your eyes may help you to um, to relate to the boredom rather than uh, just reacting out of the boredom. Does that make sense when I say it like that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. All right, friends. Let's have a look. Um, I think we should just do a little walking practice just so that you get to move your body about and just to maintain the same intention. See what the support is that's helpful. And maybe the support of just a certain constancy of awareness. Well, body walks. Body walking is a pretty much effortless activity. Right? Depending on your physical condition. Right? And if uh, that's difficult for you, then you could you know, stand or sit or lie or whatever. But if walking uh, is... Uh, Easy for you. No sense of just letting it, let body walk. Let body walk. Sometimes we do very contrived versions. I'm astonished at the way people practice walking meditation. As if they're walking on the moon or something. And just like we can get very contrived around the breath. You know, body knows how to breathe. The point of using breath as an object is that it's natural. That it has its own rhythm. No one can just let it happen. Same with the walking. Just let the body walk. It may be because there's no destination, because you're not trying to get anywhere, it may be that there's a certain natural slowing down that happens. But don't, don't try to make the walk something uh, peculiar or special. It's very natural, easeful. Walking. Walking as a support for awareness. Walking as a support for being here. Walking as a support for receiving and exploring the just-like-thisness of experience. Walking as a support for expressing 
the natural fluidity of life. So, if that is enough of a support, just the constancy of awareness, being right here, experiencing the walking. Okay. If that's not enough of a support, and it seems more helpful to be quite particular in your focus, just like in the sitting, then just really let your, your attention keep grounding into just the, the fact of walking, just the fact of body moving, just the, 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 just the naturalness of the sensation, the legs moving. And if attention is very flighty, then it might be helpful in the coming back to be very precise. Just feet, just feet, just feet. That doesn't mean at all, I would doubt very much for any of us, if that means you will only experience the feet. No, you, sight is happening, sounds are happening, mind is moving. So the coming back to the feet isn't some idea that everything else should disappear. It isn't some letting go of everything else. Right? It's an invitation for awareness to drop in. An invitation to just have a certain intimacy with things. So that the direction of attention is down into feet and legs. But everything else is still happening. Let it happen. You can't stop it anyway. So there's a little context for some walking practice. And we'll just we'll take 20 minutes or so for walking. We can use both of these rooms. And uh, then I'll ring the bell in about 20 minutes. Regardless of the details and dramas and descriptions of our experience, the closer we get and the more we hang out with the way experience actually just unfolds, the more we notice certain truths about experience, certain liberating characteristics. This morning, we've been pointing to a couple of those. The just-like-thisness of experience and the fluidity. Impermanence has become such a kind of buzzword that, uh, like I was saying earlier about feeling for a language thing that's alive, I, I don't like really like the word impermanence. It just sounds kind of clumsy for me. I, fluidity, somehow, is uh, just more of an alive. And I'm not suggesting that that might be the case for you, but I would encourage you to find your way into your own Dharma vocabulary. 
right, to find a way of describing experience that actually somehow just fits with your own experience. So when, when I pay attention to that quality of experience that's ungraspable, but that doesn't stay the same, it would never really occur to me to say, oh, experience is impermanent. It just, just wouldn't. Right? Well, the way it appears, it's, oh, there's something about the, the, the way the vocabulary of it comes alive for me. Is, it's fluid. 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 So, just that encouragement to find your own vocabulary. How does the changing nature of experience appear to you? And it's not, of course, just about finding the word, but actually the, the inhabiting, the finding your way into that quality. Last night, we, we pointed to the quality of hearness, immediacy. And we were giving the Pali word, right? Yana Bhutata. Today, pointing to the anicca, the fluidity, changing nature of experience. The tatata. It's just like this. It's just like this. And I'll point to some other qualities this afternoon. Earlier this morning I spoke about the attending to the way experience is in such a way that our cells kind of learn about it. The fruits of really attending, really contemplating the here-ness of experience is that we start to trust more our capacity to be here. We start to trust ourselves to be with our experience in a way that's non-manipulative. And actually, oh, able to oh, rest into, able to make room for, able to accommodate experience. The fruits of attending to the just like thisness of experience is that we have start to notice an increasing capacity to be with the ambiguity of things, to not need things to be so clear cut. So it's like this or it's like that. Which experience actually rarely is. And a kind of freedom of being that can tolerate ambiguity. A capacity to actually not need to have things clear cut. A capacity to not need to know. The fruits of really attending to the fluidity of experience is that we get less rigid, more flexible. So these qualities, right, these actually obvious, actually unarguable qualities that all experience shares can actually be... Um, they're not just insights that occur sort of spontaneously while following the breath. Right? Although breath, of course, does, like every other aspect of experience, does share those characteristics, does express those characteristics. Breath is right here. Breath is like this. Breath is fluid. 
So we can actually attend to these characteristics directly. That's what we mean by what I was calling earlier, letting yourselves learn about them. So we'll just have a silent period of meditation together and I just invite you, as you practice in line with these different kinds of support that I've spoken about, to see if one or other of these characteristics can actually be contemplated directly. Knowing the hereness of experience, whether what's happening or what you're attending to is sound or sensation or breath or body or whatever, or knowing the fluidity or changing nature of experience, or knowing the ambiguous, just like this, ungraspable nature of experience. Attending, in other ways, in other words, attending to the way things are, attending to the way experience, just as it is right now, is revealing something of its nature and is inviting us to, is inviting us into a freer meeting of experience through the fruits of knowing that nature. So like this then, in the immediacy of things, and the just like thisness, and fluidity of experience. And this way, we practice together. So, friends, lunchtime, and I'd like to invite you to just to take one or other of these qualities to lunch with you. Um, so, practically, I don't know if some of you may uh, want to stay here and just be quiet with yourself during lunchtime, in which case, is there one or other of these rooms that you sometimes make quiet for that? There is. Oh, or the other way around. I guess it'd be n nice to have. Some, how many people think they might like to lie down and take a siesta after lunch? Is that just my European influence coming through? <clears throat> Not many of you. Oh my goodness! I would really encourage you. Hey, it's Saturday. You're not working today. A certain slowing down of your practice. I would really encourage you to enjoy the delights of the horizontal posture. 
borrow it on. <laughs> okay, great. I'll have that whole room to myself then. <laughs> and of course, you may want to, you may go out to eat, you might have lunch with each other, etc. But just before we break for lunch, just to reflect a little, these qualities, just to see which one you might take with you, and just to kind of, uh, you know, as you engage with lunch and with each other or with whatever, just to keep coming back and see if you can feel for the way your experience right now, and right now, and right now, through lunchtime, is reflecting and expressing this quality of existence. The yana butata, the hereness of things that we mentioned last night as one of those qualities. Right? The, the way in which uh, the, that sense can come alive that there is no other moment, there is no other place, this is it. And the way in which any moment, every moment, actually invites something of that quality to come alive and invites uh, something of one's freedom of being in noticing that quality to come alive. Well, the quality of anicca, the fluidity. As you're crossing the street, you know, I often find I live, I live quite rurally and there's the sense of, you know, right now it's spring and all the trees have been greening just where I live. And just that sense of that coming aliveness, the constant sense of change in the world around. And yet when I come to a city, I'm really struck by the, the, the way traffic expresses that. Right? And a kind of wonderful grid system, because we don't really have that in cities in Europe, the way everything's on the grid here. And this sort of marvellous orchestration of traffic movement. Oh. And the eating. And the, there's one's lovely lunch. Oh, oh lunch. And then it's just, it disappears. It disappears and it's gone. Oh. Right? So taking that quality and just letting yourself meet your experience through the way each moment, any moment, every moment is expressing that quality. And the way, when we let that quality come alive, it has that liberating quality of undoing something of the rigidity or the resistance or some kind of posturing that we habitually do in relationship to our experience. Or the tatata, the just-like-thisness, the ambiguity that undoes our tendency to think we know what's going on here. And the willingness to kind of uh, include and abide with the, the way things are just like this. A kind of mysteriousness that might come alive in experience. And one other quality, and we mentioned uh, last night as well, the quality of dhammata, or naturalness. The way things are happening in a kind of, uh, in an orderly way, in a way that makes sense, in a way that actually has an internal coherence to it. Like the way this body is, is maintaining itself more or less well. 
blood is going around and breath is happening despite our constant forgetting about it. Hair is growing, nails are growing. Oh, it's happening naturally. Oh, sun shines, planet turns, sounds happen, ears register them. Oh my goodness, it's all happening by itself. And actually noticing the dhammata, the natural unfolding of experience, the free unfolding, the orderly unfolding, the way the universe has a kind of coherence that it knows what to do moment by moment. And the way that can undo, the way it can relieve the sense of me trying to do it all. Oh, what a relief. So just to see which of those qualities you might feel moved or inspired to just refer to in your experience through lunchtime. So we'll take that hour and a half, which uh, you know allows for the time it might take to find somewhere to eat and order and all the rest of it, but also might allow for some time to take a little rest after lunch if you feel so inspired. And just to mention, the da- it was suggested that I mention dana now uh, before lunchtime, maybe to give you the opportunity to go and empty the ATMs uh, <laughs> during the lunch period. So just that reminder that, uh, you know, I'm, uh, my intention being here is to support you the best I can. And so please feel free to support me the best that you can. And uh, I appreciate your support. It's what allows me to, to do this kind of work here with you and elsewhere, and etc. And it's you know, a rather precarious way to be supported sometimes. So the, to whatever extent your generosity pours forth, to that extent uh, it does support me and I'm grateful for it. Thank you. Bon appétit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.